0: Welcome to the Leading Voices with ULI, a podcast of the Urban Land Institute. In this podcast series, we interview city builders who use innovative approaches to create healthier, more economically vibrant communities with character and a high quality of life. These leaders provide inspiration to those of us looking to play a role in building better cities.
1: Hi, I'm Matt Slepin, a longtime member of ULI and one of its foundation governors. I founded Terra Search Partners, a real estate-focused recruiting firm about 10 years ago. And as part of my own leadership journey, I've been lucky enough to form relationships with the leaders in the real estate and land use industry. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak with Alex Gilliam, the founder and leader of several fascinating organizations, all based in Philadelphia, the Public Workshop, the Tiny WPA, and the Department of Making and Doing. Alex's organizations brings young people together as creators and builders in their communities. Alex is an inspiration, calling himself a cheerleader of possibility. You'll definitely hear the excitement of cheerleader in our conversation. What was most fascinating to me in the conversation is the level of civic engagement that Alex's work creates in tough neighborhoods around placemaking. And what can we learn through the wonderful engagement his process creates about ways to create positive discussion around community development in a world of nimbyism and political gridlock? It was a fascinating conversation. Here it is. So so maybe a place to start in the conversation. Let me try to set the tone a little bit. Sure. Uh, One, we'll talk a little bit about your region, and and I have some extra interest, even though I'm sitting in San Francisco because I'm from Philadelphia. But, you know, the place, second, I'll I'll ask you to describe what you do and how you got there. And Mm -hmm. then third, we'll push into broadening and finding a broader context and perspective from those things that you do that, Again, you think of as as we think of as tiny and granular versus how that gets into broader civic engagement and looking at broader issues that I know people in the Urban Land Institute and others face. Sure. So, first, help us understand what it is you do and how you came to create this group of really interesting companies and how they work together.
0: Um, Well, I, I went to architecture school for undergrad and um, and I was lucky to get a fellowship at the end of that where I was teaching architectural history in rural England and and you know I came to architecture fairly late in my undergraduate academic career. And what I loved about architecture was that it really allowed me to bring together so many different aspects of things that I was interested in. You know, and when I was was teaching, I, I just, I love teaching it. And I love getting people, you know, really excited about uh, how the world around us was built. And so after that fellowship ended, I was like, man, I really want to do more of this. So I sought out you know, kind of programs and places that were doing this and landed in Philadelphia, where there used to be a program called Architecture and Education, which was part of a part of what was then the foundation for architecture. And and they did uh, this really cool program inserting architects and architecture students into public school classrooms and getting them to create curriculum together. Anyway. Um, Long and the short of it is, I ended up fully diving into um, doing programs like this. I helped create a high school for architecture and design, and you know, was really excited and pleased with the sort of effectiveness of of using design to get students excited and impassioned about their learning. But and I just had this nagging suspicion that if we gave the students, you know, greater ownership of of the world around them, that much more could happen. And so I. I ended up getting a fellowship in rural Alabama at the Rural Studio, and um, and in the process of trying to recruit students for this other project, um, I ended up going into this K-12 school in the middle of nowhere. It had 350 kids, um, 11 acres of property, one janitor, and the school was in such bad shape the students wouldn't mention its name in public and. Uh, one student had tried to actually burn it down. Um, and so, you know, I created this really simple process to simply empower the students to identify things they wanted to change or fix. And then leverage my my position as this fellow to bring a little bit of funding to bear and um, and to... You know, get paid people to say yes rather than no. And uh-huh. and was this change and
1: fix physical things or change in fix? Yep, curriculum, teachers they hated. Nope. What was?
0: It? No, it was mostly to fix physical things. I mean, okay. we in the span of three months painted thirty-seven doors, knocked down derelict buildings, uh, replaced missing ceiling, missing or broken ceiling tiles fixed broken windows, repainted an entire gym, fixed bleachers, created a simple branding system for the school, et cetera. And, you know, about, about this time, three months in or so, I was feeling a little despondent. I, I, you know, we hadn't gotten to this, this sort of exemplary design build work. We hadn't really gotten to design, you know, that the rural studio is really well known for. And I, you know, and I felt within that context, surely, like, we weren't having, surely I wasn't having the impact that I could have, like, if this hadn't happened. But I walk into their gym on a Thursday morning, and all of a sudden, I had, like, 50 kids come running across the gym, Uh, no hyperbole, you know, can we help, can we help, can we help? Wow. And at that point in time, like in the day, literally I had already 30 kids like working on different projects for in the school and I, and I legitimately had little to no tools left and I, I really couldn't manage anyone else either. Uh, and I was like, you know, guys, I'm sorry, but there were two middle school age girls who were especially persistent um, about wanting to help. And. You know, and eventually I fully expecting them to, to blow me off in the way that, you know, middle school girls were kind of hardwired to do, um, suggested that, you know, there was some paint on the wall over there that was peeling, and I the only tool I really had left was this paint scraper and would they want to go scrape paint? And much to my surprise, they piped up paint. We'd love to scrape paint. <laughs> And they took the scraper and they went over and they went at it. And you know that experience, combined with a few more, really helped make me realize that you know, despite this sort of lack of design about how designers traditionally you know think of empowerment, um, that actually some really great things were happening. I mean, you know, teachers were coming up and saying that they hadn't really thought of some of the students in this way before. Um, Students were coming and saying, you know, I get in trouble when you're not here. (laughs) Uh, The incidence of fights was going down and clearly something really powerful was going on. And, you know, and I was tapping into both the sort of really deep desire, but also capacity that existed there. This wasn't me being some nonsensical savior, but like people really wanted to do stuff. And they wanted so to take ownership.
1: Versus take ownership. learning design, they want to get their hands dirty and do things, and that engaged them in a very different way than was your stated objective.
0: Exactly. But it also, at the same time, was significantly – it was the first time it was like, oh, you could describe this as an educational project, but it actually is about a larger sense of community. Um, and so, you know, at that point, I like, man, I if I this is this is what I want to do, and it confirmed what I had, you know, expected going in. But um, if this is what I want to do, I really need to get a lot better at building because I have, for the most part, no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so, I then went and um, apprenticed with like mountain men carpenters in Virginia and. Um, a metal fabricator in New York and a cabinet maker in New York and a uh, concrete wizard in Virginia and and just tried to, you know, put myself in really uncomfortable sort of positions of not knowing a damn thing and trying to learn something that actually mattered. And and I kind of scared the crap out of my parents for a bit because here I am making like $7 an hour and (laughs) uh, actually... At home to, to actually be able to pull this off but you know if I hadn't spent that year and a half or two years doing that I really would not be where I am today and so then I you know went and um, acted largely as a consultant for different organizations like the Cooper Hewitt and the Hester Street Collaborative in New York and helped set up programs as well as just build out a series of experiences um, that built on that work in rural Alabama and then you know I realized oh well if I really want to take this to the next level most people who are doing work similar to this they're not saying that actually good design is really important and a key part of this so I'm going to go back to school and get better as a designer and that's what I did and the end of grad school um, was when I launched public workshop and technically launched it at this presentation to uh, the symposium in Austin, Texas, to all these uh, um, city officials and designers in Austin and honestly they all thought I was the new head of the water department with the, the branding, Public Works.
1: What? <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> uh,
0: um, but you know what was really stunning it, about that sort of moment was that I simply gave a presentation that in many ways built on all of this sort of DIY grassroots design stuff that I had been playing with, human-centered design work that I have been playing with over, you know, at that point, you know, three, four, five years, well, if you throw in the the formal education stuff longer, but then went in and found examples from all over the world um, that that illustrated this in different ways. And man, it, it, it was staggering. I, no one knew who I was, um, but I had the entire audience like on their feet, catcalling like by the end of this thing. And you know, and I'm a, I'm a pretty good public speaker. So there's that, but it it didn't really hit home with me until, you know, in the ensuing months when I would have these really awkward moments where I would have a planner, um, from Austin or the surrounding area come up to me at an event and say, you know, really uncomfortable things like, you know, you give me hope (laughs) and make me want to continue to be a planner and do this work. And, you know, what it became clear, um, you know around that time was that that presentation with the reaction in that presentation as well as the subsequent interactions that I had with people that I had tapped into this this deep deep river of desire to do things differently that that a lot of these sort of tactics and methodologies for for creating neighborhoods and cities and schools Um, and benches uh, was not really working and that people wanted more. They wanted to be connected to other people and they wanted to move beyond some of the the sort of guidelines and restrictions um, that were inhibiting them. Um, They wanted ownership and they wanted control. And, you know, I think we can look at our current political climate and in a incredibly negative way and there's a lot to be upset about negative about but I think on the other end of the spectrum the flip side the positive side is that there is still to this day this deep undercurrent of people just wanting some ownership and wanting to see things actually get done and wanting to feel like they can make a difference and wanting to be connected to other people um, who want to make a difference, too, even if, unfortunately, at the moment, they might be a little crazy.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> well, it's also they want to make the difference at the level where the girls are scraping the paint or someone's working on a corner outside their house versus at the grandiose level of, the, you know, the national thing that makes no sense to anyone and they don't know how to get involved or make a difference.
0: Exactly. So, you know, in a typical project, we will... Um, be brought in by a client and start with a commando-sized group of people. Um, we're very particular about starting small and not trying to reach everyone, which is kind of the exact opposite of a typical engagement model.
1: You know, we're right, and and use an example of a specific one with those words because then it um, becomes a little bit more real. So tell. Sure. So talk about the commando style coming in, but to a specific engagement where someone invited you in.
0: Well, you know, um, let's see, I can cite a couple. In in South Chicago, in Roseland, um, we started off working with an organization that's about supporting young women. And we started off doing improvements to this vacant lot with ten teenage women and um, you know to this day I'm still pretty flabbergasted that actually on day one uh, we had them design and build uh, tables so that we could work on the sidewalk so that we could do everything outside so it would be visible to people um, the weather is nice you know why not be outside and uh-huh. so just the girls building these tables at the end of the day, like 4.30 in the afternoon, everyone is smiling and almost giggling. And and everyone was smiling because without a word being spoken, uh, community members went in and cleaned up this massive vacant lot across from the lot that we were working on that had been for years filled with broken bottles and needles and stuff like that. And they were simply inspired to do so by seeing these young women build tables,
1: <laughs> right?
0: You know, to sort of learn about the project, and you know, and and what happened was that over time, uh, those young ladies, uh, it became clear that, well, young women in general with power tools are probably your single gr- greatest, most powerful community engagement tool. Period. <laughs> It's so dislocating to people to imagine or see a 16-year-old girl with a circular saw building something that's beautiful that meets a legitimate need in that community. I mean, that's so incredibly dislocating. And it's, you know, the the women in a community, again, whether that's a school or a neighborhood, get incredibly excited for obvious reasons. The old men feel like, man, I should help. (laughs) And you can watch their heads literally explode trying to figure out how they should help. Um, And, you know, in that case, we had everyone from, you know, the the gang members on that corner and in the neighborhood to the vilified cops actually participate because it was women, young women, and because they were, you know, non-threatening and because they were so dislocating. And, um, and other people started joining the team, you know, people who passed by, people we met at stores and stuff like that, um, got involved because they, they saw this action occurring and they were inspired. And, you know, we build off this, most of our work builds off of sort of an acute analysis of human development and physiology. And um, on the most basic level, we are, as humans, wired to copy one another Uh, You know, if you have a bone of empathy in your body, if if I yawn, what do you do? You yawn, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, by designing and building in public on a given site at highly trafficked times of day with um, people who are sometimes considered underdogs, and those can be adults and um, or children, um, often leads to that commando team growing, and you ultimately being able to reach many, 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 many more people in a design or civic process than you would be able to otherwise through the traditional community meeting structure, et cetera. Um, and as I said earlier, that you know, public space is the original internet, and pretty much anyone can come up and get involved and share an idea and um, help out. You know, I'm deeply competitive, but we do like really build it in as a tactic in our projects. And sometimes it's, we have this obstacle course um, building tool. Um, And it's, it's really just a, it's a process tool within a larger design project for a lot or a space. But inevitably it leads to a obstacle course race, which is usually against middle high school or elementary school kids. And again, I'm super competitive and try as I might, um, I can't match the flexibility or daring do at some point of, you know, Uh
1: and
0: and I lose and no matter how hard I try. And, you know, that's a very important thing for them to see important mostly in how I, you know, deal with that, how I deal with losing, that I'm okay with that. And what's more important is how we move ahead. So you know that that sort of fundamental tactic that we have of of starting with building. Um, when you start with building in any project, it builds in failure. You you're gonna right. fail, and part of that is 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 about um, you know very intentionally communicating to people, to a potential team from the outset that. Um, you know, not lying to people. This is whatever we're doing here. Um, whether this pertains to a civic process, a public space, or, or even school and like your learning process, this is not easy, and it's not going to be easy. So we're not going to lie to you. We're going to tell you it's hard from the outset. And what really matters is how you work together as a group and individually to deal with each failure. And So making that clear from the outset is is very much opposite the way most people are are thinking about, I think, learning and engagement right now in general, where we're trying to make it as easy as possible. And we actually take the reverse and we make it as hard
1: as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're, you're describing using the building process and power tools and creating something as an educational and civic engagement process, you're not talking about a process of creating permanence. You're creating a process of engagement and learning along the way using what it is we all do in in the building world, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, except
0: that one of our big pushes uh, is really helping... Um, designers, helping educators, helping funders, helping city officials understand and grasp that, that we see everything that's missing on the sidewalk, in a neighborhood, in a public space, in a classroom, in someone's bedroom. Everything that's missing is a rich opportunity for um, empowerment for skill building, right. for, for equity and entrepreneurship, for team building, and that we actually can and should be expecting and thinking of much more of that missing bench on a sidewalk, of that missing bike rack, of those shelves and that table that don't exist in the classroom, that broken leg even you know, on a table in the classroom.
1: Yeah. I mean, we know those parks where people want to sit, want to be comfortable, want to interact with each other, want to mistakenly meet their neighbors or surprisingly meet their neighbors. That's what this is all about. That's the thing. Those are the things we love that creates Mm -hmm. the cities we love and care about. Absolutely. So let me ask a question. So how do we take what, what you're doing is you're training some muscles in people. Um, and you're training those muscles, so how do we take those muscles and indeed bring them into what is the civic engagement about building process? How do we bring those muscles into the NIMBY problem? Um, how do we bring those muscles into discussion about affordable housing or inevitable densification of our urban areas that's happening? So kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, first thing, I think it's helpful to clarify that uh, I, I do believe these muscles exist, you know, already. And I, this, on one hand, the, you know, the role of mirroring neurons and, and young people taking action as a tactical tool, you know, that's largely tapped in, tapping into again how we're wired as humans and how we all are united in sort of first learning about the world, which the most powerful way is direct observation initially, right? The second most powerful way is actually building. And we all started off learning, no matter our skin color, our background, etc. We started off learning about the world by building things, knocking things down, biting things, and, you know, banging things, right? And yep. as, as we get older, we have fundamentally pushed that as a, as a primary learning device, um, as a relationship-building device even, because this is how we also built friendships, right? As kids, um, yep. we push that to the end of of learning processes or community development processes, and see building as only the most perfect representation of this this exquisitely hewn body of theoretically exquisitely hewn body of knowledge, mm-hmm. and and that's just fundamentally weakening an entire process. So, you know, I, I think on a, a larger scale, the notion of um, the sort of DIY public space, temporary stuff is really powerful. Obviously, creating policies, I mean, to get benches in places much more easily. I mean, it's absurd how overly regulated the sidewalk is. It's completely absurd. Um, and, you know, in Philadelphia, in certain circumstances, you're going to have to have the council actually, you know, vote on whether you can put in a series of benches. And that is that is a ridiculous use of councilmatic time uh-huh. um, and energy. So we need to develop more policies that make it easier for people to take action. That also includes... How do we insure this stuff? And you know, in Philadelphia, one of the challenges has been that the city a number of years ago backed away from insuring like people putting benches on sidewalks. And so now like our nonprofit arm tiny WPA, if we put a bench on Lancaster Avenue in Philadelphia, we have to have insurance for it. Straightforward. So you know, I we don't mind giving back to the community. That's the point of tiny WPA. But not a lot of people can do that, and that's a problem. Um, so, you know, then on the, you know, related to that, I think having developing small buckets of money that that let people run with an idea of, of putting in smaller amenities in a school or um, – you know, on a block in a neighborhood, or is, is really valuable. But I think the the larger notion of in development, um, smaller prototypes, testing out different ideas, you can extend that these the sort of ideals to more permanent things as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and it has value. Um, I do think that you know the tricky thing is obviously around. Um, gentrification, equity, stuff like that. But, you know, this goes back to the notion that is fundamental in both, you know, public workshop and tiny WPA's work, which is simply that, again, that missing bike rack, that missing bench, those missing shelves, et cetera, that those are opportunities for rich engagement, entrepreneurship, et cetera. We need to see them as such. And on one hand, we really see like no regard for community engagement, <laughs> totally top-down sort of nonsense. On the other hand, other of the spectrum, and just to be clear where, you know, engaging a community even in the most basic of ways could lead to a better result, a legitimately better result, better buildings, better facilities that are better owned and better meet the needs of, of that particular community the other hand, we see complete, like, paralyzed hand-wringing you
1: yes, know, around,
0: totally around engagement, um, and to the point of where I don't think the feedback is positive or useful or good. <laughs> Community engagement is such a catchphrase and a totem right now that the people feel like they have to do, but they don't really, they're not really clear on why they're doing it other than that they'll get in trouble for not doing it. And it's uh-huh. it's a little bit like, for most people right now, community engagement is, is akin to inviting that that person that you don't really want to invite to your birthday party, but you feel like you should. Because. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what community engagement is for most organizations and people. And so that needs-driven approach of getting designers and planners and developers to the point of like, well, hey, you know, what do you really need here? Like, why, what do you want from a community? Like, what can they legitimately contribute to a project? And there are things in every project that they, they can contribute to that can make something better. Um, but being very clear about that is incredibly important because because people can smell bullshit a mile away. And they can, and and they don't want to participate as a result because they know that this is not valuable. That this is this is all a nonsensical exercise. And you know, and, and we've gotten direct, documented feedback from participants in our projects saying that the only reason they participated was because they saw a building happening, and that communicated to them implicitly that it might be worth volunteering their time and that their ideas might actually be used. So that's the state we're at, (laughs) you know?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, The sort of lack of trust, the lack of follow through, and and not necessarily all the time through, through, um, you know, malicious intent, but you're only doing yourself a disservice if you're not, really trying to figure out, well, you know, what's really useful from a community? What do I really need um, in this design or planning process uh, that people can legitimately contribute that will make this a better project?
1: It's funny. I have a little bit of a fantasy that, um, be, you know, think of a big project and think of a community meeting around a big project and the community meetings about how do we stop it or how do we make it smaller, not how do we make it better. And maybe if in the room everyone, A, realize they're going to come out with a real solution, not a stop it thing. And B, maybe if they started with some girls with power tools at the beginning of the meeting, relaxing everyone, and they build something together and then say, okay, this is what building is about. Now let's engage in the discussion about what this building, what building would be best for all stakeholders.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, Daniel Burnham, when he released the Burnham plan for Chicago, the turn of the last century, was not an idiot when he made a middle school curriculum about the Burnham plan. Like, he didn't do it because he loved kids. He did it because he knew it was the best way to get to the adults. Yeah. Um, and so, again, you know, we're really, really good with kids. Um, but we're also really, really good with people in general, and we love kids. But you know, I think we want to help people get things done. And if if young people are part of that solution at a given point, great. If they're not, they're not, and that's fine. Don't be dogmatic about a you know an approach. Um, but I do think we often overlook or, um, as cities, as planners, as designers, as teachers the the importance of of taking the time to um, to build team, to build a sense of trust, to build collaboration, to implicitly explore um, the boundaries of what this project could be before you even really get started. And you know, again, one of the reasons we do start with building is because it is chemically fundamentally different from going to a community meeting, um, from participating online, like literally uh, you are activating the dopamine system when you're swinging a hammer, when you're digging a hole, when you're using a circular saw, when you're lifting up a wall together. And those chemicals that are released when you're building are the building blocks for all of the things that would make a community planning, design, or learning process more effective. Those chemicals underlie um, stronger relationships and team building. They also create a sense of empowerment and a sense of well-being. I mean, literally, those chemicals make you feel good. And if you think about that in contrast to some of the anger and vitriol and frustration of a community meeting, or simply hitting like on Facebook or whatever,
1: Mm-hmm. vastly
0: different. Um, and totally true. You know, it's a it's another sort of tool in this larger arsenal to do great things. And you know, and just to backtrack for one second around the hand wringing and the sort of notion of a needs based approach, I I think helping city officials and others understand that, you know what? Um that bench, in designing this rec center, like actually getting local people to design and build that bench, or even just build it, fabricating that in the neighborhood, that is a form of community engagement. That is a form of of, of equity building. That, you know, may not totally bolster a neighborhood against driving families who do, who do not have the means to match the rising taxes, etc., but it is engagement and it is valuable and there's just so many more spectrum uh, so many more points along sort of the way we create buildings the way we create neighborhoods etc where there are meaningful opportunities for engagement that we really need to dig down into and look at and imagine that people would actually want to fix that the biggest problem was you know in alabama ultimately was my failure to recognize that someone wanted to fix that broken locker And that was the failure of everyone. And I think that's the situation we're in is the failure of of people at all levels to realize the ways that people actually do want to contribute.
1: Absolutely true. Well, I, I have to tell you, I've learned a lot thinking of this from the bottom up and at the granular level. And in those ways that we all do know that people want to make a difference and are really real for people, these are great lessons and great learnings and you're doing wonderful work. So thank you. Thank you so much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Leading Voices with ULI podcast, hosted by the Urban Land Institute. To learn more about ULI's Leadership Network or to join ULI as a member, please visit ULI.org.